Hi, welcome to this edition of Zanatomy 101 with our Helix and Gene podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Joe, we call him, Dr. Joe Basilovac. And we have our Director of Nutrition, Lori Graham, co-hosting with us today, which is really, really an honor. Um, so we have a very, very intellectual, smart panel on board today. So hold your horses and get ready for some fun conversation. Dr. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Dr. Joe, I want you to just introduce yourself to us a little bit and tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to be Dr. Joe, and uh, just you know, give us a little insight into who you are and how you got here. All right. Very good. I'm a Midwesterner, okay? Lived in New York now for 12 years. Wow. But I went through conventional medical school and did a cardiovascular surgery rotation uh, and then started a cardiovascular practice surgery practice near Kansas City for about 29 years. Halfway through the practice, I'm frustrated. Patients are sent to me for surgery. They're on 20 different meds, and I'm going, I'm scratching my head. Something's not right here. So I obtained another doctorate in natural medicine at that time. So the second half of my surgical career also involved me doing some alternative things on the side, particularly prolozone, which is an injection for shoulders. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... Anyway, practiced for 29 years. I was 58 years old at the time. I was single, and all my kids were grown. Senogenics Medical Institute, age management clinic, called me and said, would you like to go to New York City and open up an office for us there? I'm off on another adventure. Okay, (laughs) new chapter. So that's where it started. And so 12 years ago, I wound up here in, in New York. So I started doing the age management practice. All right. I'm seeing retired NFL players, retired NBA players, military special forces guys that are 55 years old and they want to keep doing duties for the, for the military. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking care of them and I realize age management, body parts wear out. Okay. Yeah. So I started doing the prolozone injections and things on the shoulders and then moved into stem cells. Okay. So basically, that is my main practice right now, is just stem cells, but it started at that. Mm. Um, so with, with the stem cell, right? So it, can you explain a little bit? Because you know, I, I think stem cell to most people sounds very broad, you know, because there's stem cells now in terms of, oh, there's stem cell uh, therapy for all kinds of different things. Can you just give us a little explanation about how you utilize that technology and what you, know, you use it for and, and where, how did that link into the problem that you saw with these NFL players? Like what made you think of stem cell and get into that world? Well, we're trying to get some regeneration going, okay? Stem cells, the Spanish term for stem cells is cellulis madres, Hmm. mother cells. Perfect perfect (laughs) description, okay? These cells will divide and grow and differentiate, and they can turn into any kind of a cell, okay? So really started off with joints and was getting some good results with joints, except and you can take another step back, and that's another story. Why did some of the retired NFL, NBA players do better than others? I'm looking at a 55-year-old guy, and if he's overweight, got type 2 diabetes, 
I don't want his stem cells. <laughs> See, I, I learned this. So over 12 years, I've been through amniotic fluid and uh, placental products and now umbilical cord stem cells, okay? It makes a lot of sense, particularly if you're dealing with somebody who has an autoimmune condition or something, okay? So Could you explain that a little bit more deeply? With? How is it different for someone with an autoimmune condition? Well, uh, because... You know, for instance, I would not want to take that, their stem cells and use them on them, okay. on themselves. I just don't think that that's effective, okay? So you get into the retired NFL and NBA players. I, at that point, with my age management, I'm looking at, hmm, hormone optimization. These guys are off balance. And as a surgeon, I'm looking at, I'm just trying to help healing. I give stem cells. You do something before, during, after, as part of wound management, wound care. That's where I've been successful. And I don't have a big practice. I don't belong to a university, anything like that. I did the things I did because of the patients I had, mm. particularly military special forces. They come in, they have TBI, traumatic brain injury, or MS, emphysema or lung problem, um, all kinds of systemic problems. And I was, they asked me to see if I could do some stem cell treatment. So I was doing that getting pretty darn good results. And like I said, with the MS, for instance, you know, I don't want to use their stem cells. Umbilical cord stem cells have an excellent anti-inflammatory property. I see autoimmune cases just turn right around with, during a period of time with this. So, um, that... Yeah. Yeah, so so that that's so interesting. So so the process is you take the stem cells and then you you inject them. I guess is that how it works? I, I just want to okay. really yeah. I, 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 I'll I, give you a story. Yeah, please. I want to get a very good like explanation of what the process is. Okay, three hundred and twenty pound, all pro defensive end from the Giants, a retired player. Okay, and I'm sticking his bone marrow to get his stem cells. It's kind of dangerous. I only weigh 150 pounds. <laughs> he, was, he was really scared of the needle, okay? Right. So not only are those not the best stem cells in some instances, but there's a secondary procedure. Now what I do, there's a group of gals, 15 to 35 years of age, okay? They become pregnant. They're medically screened for everything. Nothing wrong? Okay, you go on, have your pregnancy, we'll, have, we'll schedule a C-section. Here, you get the baby, we get the umbilical cord. Mm. That's how I get those now. They come cryo-freezed. Got it. So, patient comes in, I thaw, and I administer the stem cells. So there's no secondary procedure as far as retrieving the stem cells. Ah, okay, got it. So how do you decide how much, is there measurements to the stem cell or, you know. We, or even location. Yeah, or location. Like, how does the process work? I'm very, I, I'm, I'm very well, intrigued. And I, I feel like it's, it's, again, it's such a field where that area is, there's such a lack of knowledge on it in terms of how does it really work? When I started to do stem cells, the first thing I said to myself was, do no harm. I'm a physician. Do no harm. Okay. Right. What is the harm with stem cells? Mm, there's no tissue reaction. There are immune privileged cells. There's no cancer risk. Hmm. The risk is I need to stick a needle into a joint or give it systemically. I'm a cardiovascular surgeon. That's that's a piece of cake. <laughs> right. You know. So. Right. So I see. Okay. So that's how it is. So in 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 terms of what kind of 
answers are you looking for in terms of when you apply the stem cell? You know, what's the, like, what is considered a successful result? Or, you know, and is that, how does that differ from a average person doing it to someone who has an MS issue or something of that sort? And and where do you see that um, in terms of like the measurable result for each one of those type of people? Like, how does that work? How do you measure that? The first thing most people or conventional medical doctors will ask, show me a clinical study. Right. That's a bunch of bull. We're working our way through this. Right. Even the doses of things, I'm changing depending on the patient's response. Okay. Again, following the, 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 the we're not going to do any harm. Right. Okay. Now, as far as development, I mean, you know, there's no studies out there. I mean, there are a few, particularly European studies that will give you some guidelines, but nobody tells you how much to give or when to give it or how to give it. And that's where, over the years, I that's found the trick. my wound healing things. They help out. I can do prolozone before. I can do stem cells. And I can do exosomes afterwards at certain uh, places. And it just, uh, the recovery's there. As a surgeon, I think the oldest patient I ever operated on was 104. Okay? Wow. Now, that's amazing. That's amazing. He could have beat me in a chess game. <laughs> and he lived at home by himself. Okay? So if anybody criticized me, you're going to operate on this guy? Yes. Quality of life. He's right. going to stay at home. That's how I determine things. I don't look at a clinical study saying you got to do this and that and this and that. It's just a, I've got a small practice. I like to take very good personal care of all the patients. Yeah, yeah. And just follow the course. And that's, I will just say this. I mean, I, I've got enough data. I'm going to be getting some, some, study, some study data together, you know, but... Uh, it's all that I learned just by practice. You know, it, it, data to me is, is a funny thing because when you're coming up with new remedies and you're and new, you know, and, and it's kind of like new science in its application, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad or, or it, because like you said, it doesn't exist. A lot of it hasn't been done. Somebody has to say, okay, let's, and it has to be someone like yourself who understands the body from a surgical standpoint, understands all the ins and outs, understands where the not to do parts are. So you have a starting ground. And I think from a data standpoint, that's where you collect data. I mean, I, I also like what you said about the guy who's 104. I had a client years ago, you know, may he rest in peace, he's passed away. And he had to have a procedure done. Um, and he was, at the moment, he was 87 years old, okay? And the doc, he said, he, he's telling me the story, and he goes, I walk into the doctor's office, and this guy, at 87, he could stand on a wobble board and do 20 squats, okay? So just give you mm -hmm. an idea of what kind of shape he, we had him in. Right. And he walked, and no body fat, phenomenal shape, and... The doctor who said he would have never performed the surgery on any other 87-year-old was like, yeah, you, I'm doing it. He did the surgery. It's good clinical judgment. It was, it was very successful and saved this guy's life, and he went on to live another like seven, eight years easily. And, you know, and, and most doctors would have just pushed him away with regular protocol going, well, that's the age that you're at. We shouldn't do this. And this doctor took the time to actually pay attention and say, hey, yeah, I, I don't see much risk to this. I actually think this is a good move. And and he went along and he did it. So I, I, you know, I love doctors that have that progressive thinking like you do in the sense that, look, if, if 
the guy is healthy and it fits the bill, why not do the protocol? You know what I mean? And I, I always find that to be the way to go with 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 patients because like you said there's there is there's no one way of doing anything and that's something we find in our business you know there's each we call it bio right we call it right bio individuality each person is different you never know you know no two people are alike so we have all these tests that we do to see what genetic markers what blood markers are where in each individual so we can figure out and have a better idea of how to help them and there isn't necessarily always very deep scientific data so on this here, stuff. So here's, a, here's a, like a comparison. Like even with the work that we do, we have a lot of subjective or qualitative kind of information. And then we have the quantitative because we do a body composition analysis. In the work you're doing, and, and it's just as valid, are the qualitative results. So I'm just curious. Um, if you have somebody with multiple sclerosis, um, where are you injecting? Just curious. Okay, they get an intravenous injection, and another, a what injection? An intravenous injection. Intra okay. The other one is a sphenopalatine ganglion block right here. So, so right in the, in the skull, right in there. The temple. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Interesting. Okay, mm. now you have somebody who's got a traumatic brain injury, like the NFL players, and mm -hmm. we have somebody. Yeah, we do. Yeah. In our ranks. Yeah. So. Well, there was a European study that showed that if after um, an acute onset of a heart attack or a stroke, if within 15 days those patients got stem cells, there was actual regeneration of heart tissue and nerve tissue. Well, and they used to say that about hyperbaric oxygen for stroke patients. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And okay. see, hyperbaric oxygen stimulates stem cell Correct. activity. Okay, I use intravenous ozone to hyperoxygenate patients when I give the stem cells because it's not convenient to go to the hyperbaric chamber for a lot of people. Okay. That's, fa that's, that's fascinating. So now the stem cell that we're talking about now, I, and excuse me if this is an ignorant question, but uh, now we're, we're talking also about the NAD therapy, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the NAD therapy from, is that the same? Is that the same thing with the stem cell? Or how, yeah. does that, how does that work? Because that's something I'm starting to hear a lot more and more about. And I was looking that that's a very, that's a big thing that you do as well. Can you just give us a little information about how that works? Well, you know, one thing when you said, what objectively do I follow? Okay, I'll just give you a couple of examples. Somebody with MS goes back in for an MRI and their lesions are gone, okay? Or somebody who has an autoimmune condition, they have 20 rheumatology tests off track, and after six months, they're all normal without any other treatment other than what we did. How many treatments and typically? I know, I know there's not okay. one right answer for everybody, but are we talking weekly? Well, are we talking see, this monthly? Is, no, what, what, it's funny because this is part of my experience that I've gained. When you talk about the stem cells, dividing and differentiating and all that, okay, there's a period of time they do that. Now what I'm finding, for instance, on an MS patient, is about 90 days, you know? Okay, so what I'll have is, okay, this is kind of, we'll, we'll get through this. Let me go over an ad first, mm -hmm. okay? okay? Middle school biology, Krebs cycle. Krebs cycle, right. Okay? <laughs> all right, the Krebs cycle is the way the body makes energy. Mm -hmm. If a cell makes a normal level of energy, it functions normally. If not, you get a degenerative condition, chronic condition, cancer. Mm. NAD is a coenzyme that scoots that cycle around, okay? 
NAD depletes as we get older, like a lot of things, okay? Um, after the age of 50, it's significantly depleted. If you drink every night, it's even more depleted. And if you have a chronic neurologic disease, the pathology is those nerve cells dump out their NAD. Then you get a neuropathy, all right? So all of this makes a lot of sense, particularly when I take an MS patient who is having some neurologic symptoms, neuropathy, all kinds of things, you know, and we give them some intravenous NAD. It's hard to give an oral supplement to build up NAD. Right, because I've, I've heard it you. It takes they a do long orals, time, and you yeah. have to take a lot of Yeah, you take a ton of it, right? Right. Yeah. But what I like to do is, load the people up with NAD intravenously, then you can get them on a supplement and get them up. I see. Now, what, what happens is this. This surprised me. Giving NAD to, the, uh, to an MS patient, okay? And uh, she was from out of, out of state, and we gave her the NAD, all right? She could hardly walk and uh, could not take stairs and things like that, but she wanted to go to the Empire State Building and see the city at night, okay? On the very top, there's one flight. You got to walk up. She made it. Wow. You know, and so you start, and then her neuropathy gets better. So you see an improvement initially. It's just temporary. You're filling up the NAD gas tank, okay? But it tells me how important that is. And then when I've given patients NAD, some of them come back, maybe for a different reason. They'll come back and they'll say, I don't use my reading glasses like I used to. I hear better. Doc, I couldn't taste food for 20 years, and now my taste is great. And I'm just thinking in terms of all you're doing is you're getting the cells working better. Right. This is where you should have been, you know? So how is, so so just, just I, this is fascinating. So, so the NAD aspect of this, so what is it exactly in in compound form? Like what, what, what I understand what NAD is, but like, how do they create it? You injected, you, so right, you injected intravenously. You said, but like, it's 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 a liquid form, right? I mean, it's it has to be reconstituted, and you have to be very very careful where it's made. Right, that's and there's what I'm really only, there's one or two places here in the country that I would trust mm -hmm. with their NAD. Right. Okay. That's what I want to know. Right? Now the other thing too is I've played around with this myself. I mean, if I'm going to do this with patients, first do no harm. Hey, okay. <laughs> Well, I've got the NAD in, and I begin to, you know, I turn up the, the rate a little bit, and I begin to feel this pressure. I turn down the rate, two seconds, the symptoms are gone. Mm. Something having to do with assimilation of the NAD, mm. see? Uh, that's what that has to do. And it takes about four hours to infuse the NAD. Hospitals and doctors, clinics don't offer this because you have to be certified to give NAD. It's, it. it's difficult. But that's part of the therapy that I use. So somebody would come in and they'd have to sit there for four hours while they're getting this Here's done? Here's what that, I do. How does they that have work? an apartment or you're out of state and you come into a hotel, it's done there. Got I it. have my nurse and I go over there. It just makes it convenient. Yeah, yeah, why, sure. Why sit in my office in the waiting right, room for four hours? Right, 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 got right, it. Right. Yeah. No, that's fascinating so stuff. So talk a little bit about also, because there's been a lot of um, rodent studies with NAD, with infusions, and they're talking about NMR and NM. So could you explain the precursors and also what lifestyle habits increase NAD as we're aging? Uh, 
you know, basically, it is a niacin-type product, okay? Correct. In the past... Because this is a B vitamin. Yes. And, you know, in the past, you know, when I first trained 45 years ago, you know, we were giving, um, you know, niacin to patients for high cholesterol. Well, they get a flush on A flush, it, okay? right. But there are other derivatives that don't give you the flush. Correct. And those, that's really the, the only way I know to get, to get that built back up. Okay. So when talking about the cholesterol, let's get on to that issue for a second, right? And, you know, I, this is a big, big topic in today's medical world about whether, you know, what high cholesterol truly means and where it comes from or the, the general basis nowadays is you have high cholesterol is higher than a specific number. Here's a statin, right? So... In terms of, you know, you understanding the internal science of cholesterol, because it's a big factor in, I think, everything that you do, how do you, what's your take on that in general, in terms of, you know, what does high cholesterol mean to you? How would you treat somebody who has high cholesterol? Where do you look? What are the markers? What different labs might you run? Right. Well, you know, you look at different things. First of all, by society, our environment our hormones are dropping prematurely. Yeah. Okay? At my, Which I want to get to in a little bit. At my <laughs> age, right. my father's testosterone <clears throat> levels were 50% higher than mine. His father's was probably 50% <clears throat> higher than his. So what's going on? We're just really replacing what the environment's doing to us. Okay? Mm. So you get a 55-year-old guy, and he comes into me for an age management consult. Right. And I ask him, what's the state of your medical health? Oh, it's really good, doc. Okay. Are you on any medicines? Well, I take a cholesterol pill and a blood pressure pill and a heart pill, <laughs> right, and uh, Viagra works pretty good for me. And I'll look at them and I'll say, do you consider yourself healthy? And they'll say, on my last physical, all my numbers were good. Oh, my God. You know, all right. That drives me crazy because we get that also. Right. Okay. And, and, and really, a lot of times, a 55-year-old guy goes into the doctor, oh, Jack, your cholesterol's up, here's a pill. Right. right. Now, here's the biology of it. The science. Cholesterol is used as a precursor to make testosterone. Right. It's used as a precursor to make vitamin D. If those things are suboptimal to an individual, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about absolute number values, okay? Your reference values. I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, that. I, but I, suboptimal I, to that individual, cholesterol's up. You optimize, the cholesterol comes down without medicine. I see this all the time. Yeah. And so me, for me, as a surgeon and stem cell and wound healing, we're trying to get the machine rebooted right into proper mode for healing so it, it, so i want to really get on that for a second because that that's something that you know i i was in the bodybuilding world mm-hmm. years ago and you know mm-hmm. in a different life and it, it, it's uh it's obviously the usage of testosterone and these things um are severely abused and totally used right. in many, many ways that, you know, uh, I wouldn't recommend. And in studying the science of these things myself, um, I got to understand the different hormones and how they relate with one another and the proper usage of hormone replacement therapy as you age because it's necessary followed under the guidelines of a physician who understands how to guide you so you're optimal for your age and then some as opposed to 
uh, meeting, uh, you know, Joe Duterud at the gym, who is telling you, uh, you know, his friend's a pharmacist, he made this thing for you and you should take it because you're going to get jacked. You know, I think there's a big misconception with mm-hmm. people in understanding what these hormones really are and how th- there's a lot of science now, a ton of it that supports and shows the proper usage of uh, peptides, testosterone, anti-estrogens, growth hormone, these things utilized the right way can actually be extremely beneficial to an aging population. Um, what are, what's your take on this? And, and, and how, do you, how do you differentiate between the noise, so to say? Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of conventional medical doctors don't accept this. Yeah, and, there's a ton. And, yeah. and patients look at, for me, the best way to give a guy testosterone is an injection. And people think, yeah. oh, an injection, that's not natural. Well, what if you had diabetes? Well, yeah, I'd have to take a shot then, they'll say. You know? <laughs> right. Just, so, you know, you know, that's the kind of feeling you have. But, but middle-aged guys also that develop type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Sugar metabolism is directly involved with testosterone. Okay, so you see all these things that come up with middle age, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol. All that the body is saying is metabolically, you're not right. And I want to get that body back metabolically rather than, oh, your cholesterol number is good this year. Right. Understood. So one of the things that I notice is what you talked about, the the guideline numbers, right? Mm -hmm. I look at the numbers and I think that's part of the problem. You have have numbers, you go to your doctor and your doctor says, well, the range for average testosterone for a male, now this is appalling to me, from the age of 18 to 65, (laughs) which is a lifetime different from one another, is, you know, anything above 250 and under 1,000 is where you should be. And, and I, I can't help but laugh and go, okay, you're comparing an 18-year-old to a 65-year-old and putting them in the same category naturally without any help first. Second of all, you're coming up with this arbitrary number that 250 to 1,000 means something where it, it's really, there is, no, there is no basis behind what that means or what it operates. It's just, I guess it's just- There's no science. There's no science. It's just a, it's, it's just a collective- group of people that fell in that number when their testosterone was tested. It doesn't, it, 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 it takes nothing so, else so into that's calculation. The, that's the same thing as like our, we have a software program that analyzes someone's blood test mm-hmm. and, and uses There's algorithms. reference ranges. And I, but we have reference ranges and we have optimal ranges mm-hmm. and we use the optimal ranges, which means that the person's being compared to other people their age who are also healthy. And so that range, what Sam is also saying, is that these larger ranges ranges are covering people with a variety of different medical issues. It's it's not like you're being compared mm-hmm. to what's healthy. What is a healthy 55-year-old male's testosterone? What is it for that person who can still exercise, who's well, not on any meds, et cetera? Here's, here's what I would tell you okay. is, you know... Um, if you had at age 55 a testosterone of 250, just above the lower limit, right? And I asked you, what was your testosterone when you were 25? We don't know. Right. What if it was 2,500? Right. Then that is a big, big drop. Right. See. And so what I go, I don't go by numbers. I go by what's happening metabolically. Do I see the cholesterol come down when they go on testosterone? Do I see their sugar come down? 
those sorts of things. Do I see the bone marrow stimulated where the hemoglobin goes up a little bit? Those are signs that they're getting... Um, Healthier. Yes. Yeah. So, but that's my point, you see. So, so we need to look a lot more at understanding how these things can be utilized from a health standpoint, from an anti-aging standpoint, to instead of, you know, people are so fixated, well, that's synthetic testosterone. Well, your body doesn't know the difference between synthetic or real. It breaks it down essentially the same way. So if you... If you can get your numbers to be able to come down in those areas that you're talking about, then you're obviously utilizing something that is beneficial to your health under a doctor's supervision. Why is this so bad? A lot of this has to do with what we're taught in medical school. And the studies that were done, particularly with females, the World Health Organization study, they were using not bioidentical hormones. Mm. You use bioidentical hormones, the game is different. It's entirely different. And then you manage Why? the patient. Play, speak, and can you explain, explain what that, that is? What's bioidentical Bioidentical hormones? means you're getting a testosterone injection, and that testosterone is the same as the testosterone your body makes. So it's makes. not synthetic. Right. Or well, on it, a female, the, the premarin. Premarin is not, it's not human. Right, it's from okay? horse. But, it's you horse get, but you get a estrogen effect. Right. Okay, but it's not bioidentical, so you're missing some of the other effects that you could get with a bioidentical. Correct. And then if you add the layer in of how, how is this person's liver metabolizing that particular hormone, and you know, and that plays in also because one person may be effective at metabolizing their hormones well, but it's got to be more difficult for the body to metabolize something synthetic. Am I correct when I say that? Definitely. And okay. see, I don't know that people understand what we're subjected <laughs> to in the world. Right. You're cleaning the kitchen. You're using some cleaning solution, whatever. I mean, things that have chemicals in them. All of these things, a lot of them are like fake estrogen. Yeah, and it can affect both right. men and women, yes. Hmm. So the environment, like you said, over the last 50 years is a huge aspect of what's driving these testosterone levels so much lower than they used to be 50 mm -hmm. years ago. Hence why his father's well, testosterone... Right, that's what I'm saying. Well, right. look at this. The FDA came out with a statement saying the nutritional value of the soil in this country is nearly depleted or depleted, okay? Mm -hmm. That was in 1936. Right. Where are right. we today? And so I th also look at, you know, you look at people with food and they have two apples come from different places. Are they equal? What was the source? Right. Or a doctor says, eat omega-3s. Well, I'll go down to the grocery store and buy some farm-raised salmon. Wrong. Wrong, right. Yeah, That's you, right. You know, you're getting a, a, a substance that has been altered, probably given hormones, orange color to make the meat look orange. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Genetically That's not, engineered, yeah. correct. Yeah. That, but go, go back a second. In, you were talking about everybody being unique and so understanding where someone was at 23 and seeing where they are at 45 and on and on and on the question is there's really no standard for medical doctors unless we educate younger men and younger women for instance to have their hormone values tracked and to save their blood tests I mean that's where it's really got to start exactly i mean yeah. when i initiate someone on testosterone therapy probably four times during the year, the first year, 
I will be rechecking everything and going over all this stuff. And also, I tell the patients, if you're going to give your injection twice a week, let's get the blood draw two or three days after an injection. Because otherwise, if they're not told that, another doctor's following, one time this testosterone is super high because he took the injection that morning, and sometimes it's really low because it was two or three days, and they're adjusting all this stuff based on numbers rather than looking at the metabolism. That is the key. You know, I've had firsthand experience with this in the sense that I was 18 years old, and, and Lori and I have spoken about this, and I, I, was, I was 17 or 16 years old, I should say. I was, I was a small kid, okay? And I got introduced to working out. Now, genetically, if you look at, like, my father and uncles and they were all big muscular, you know, guys. Not tall, but very thick muscular guys and very strong background. All Greco-Roman wrestlers were Middle Eastern family. We all grew up, you know, kind of lifting things and putting them down. And, uh, and you know, I, what happened was I started having severe reactions when I started training first. Let me, let me, let me, let me go back for a second. I started lifting. All of a sudden I gained about 25 to 30 pounds in a short period of time when I started lifting and eating and I got muscular fast and I was like, Whoa, how, like, old, how old were you? I was like 16 years okay. old. Okay? okay. Like, I mean, it just happened like boom, you know, and I actually grew like three inches, okay, which was the weirdest thing. So, and and all of a sudden, I was like a different human being. But I also, what came with that was this, I, I got extremely, I, I, I got extremely agitated quickly and I started developing breasts and it, it and I got a short fuse and I was, I was, uh, angry, depressed. I didn't know what the hell was going on, young kid. And I remember I went to the doctor and I, you know, I don't know why I'm, I'm muscular, but I still have like these breasts that are growing and, you know, and during puberty and, and I'm as strong as anybody, if not stronger than anyone in my school at the time. And I don't, I don't know what the, what's going on. If I get mad at somebody, I want to run through a door. I don't know how to control that at the age of 17. And I go to the doctors at that point, and this is 22 years ago, you know, and, and the doctor, you know, gives me the blood work and they test my testosterone and my, my estrogen levels. And my testosterone was like, a, I forget, but it was a crazy number. It was like through the roof, you know, and, and something that the doctor was like, this is not normal. And my estrogen was so high. And his theory at the time was that my body was developing so much that it didn't know how to handle it. And it was converting it just to drive back. A normal in, breakdown in, product in, yeah, is into estrogen, estrogen. Right. That's where the boobs estrogen. were coming from. So, but he didn't know how to help me. He turns around and he's like, oh, well, you know, you'll get over this with age. And I'm sitting there. I'll never forget. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, you don't understand. Like, I, 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 it's not normal that if someone looks at me the wrong way, I want to rip their head off or run through a wall. I'm like, I shouldn't feel this way. <laughs> like, like that's, that's not my personality. Like I, don't, like, I don't know how to control that. And you're telling me it's normal in age. I'm looking around at my friends. No one's put on 25 pounds of muscle in four months and wants to run through a wall. Like, that's not normal, you know? So I don't like, what do I do here? 
There was nothing in place to help me. And this is where I started doing the research. This is what forced me to almost take matters into my own hands and figure out how do I level this problem out, you know? And without getting into too much detail, I figured it out because my scientific brain went to work and I was able to get myself normal. I go back a year later and I'm normal and I feel good. And, you know, he retests me and he's like, Oh yeah, everything is good. See, you 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 got yourself back to normal. I'm interested in him, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what is interesting is what you did, what you took. So you should you should talk about it because this this is the oxymoron. So I I I actually what I did was I I I did a lot of homework, and, and you'll understand this, I'm sure. But so what I did was I started taking testosterone. Okay, and I realized if I took a lot of testosterone, it would shut off my natural testosterone when I come off. So I took the testosterone for a period of time in a good quality amount. And I came off and that actually shut off my regular testosterone production. And I realized that if I take a specific dose of estrogen at the time, an anti-estrogen to don't, not let me aromatize, I could balance this hormone out and then I can reintroduce the testosterone synthetically back into my system. And, and if I do this correctly and I figured out what the proper dosage was to keep me normal with the anti-estrogen and the testosterone, and I'm sitting there as a 20-year-old kid, like figuring this thing out on my own, you know, based on reading and figure, and there was like, internet wasn't like it is today either. Like to find this information was like, but like, it was like my life. I had to figure this thing out. So <laughs> that's how I started learning about the proper usage. And I was told, well, because you're getting on synthetic testosterone at a young age or this, this and that, you're not going to be able to have children. I have two perfectly healthy kids, okay? Uh, it's going to shut this off. It's going to mess this up. All my numbers at the age of 39 now are as healthy as a 19-year-old, okay? So, and in my younger days, I did do my fair share of abusing my body. So, but, and they're still normal. So, <clears throat> I learned out of the necessity of what the doctors couldn't help me with at the time to get myself to this because we're not, position. Because we weren't trained that way. You're right, exactly right. So like, it's such music to my ears 20 years later, knowing that I, I'm not the only kid at that age who's having those well, kind of issues. Look, look at this. I mean, <clears throat> this applies to both men and women. You're looking at estrogen, testosterone, how about progesterone? Progesterone, that's I was right. taught in medical school, you don't order a progesterone level on a man because it's a female hormone. All right, I will ask you this. What was your progesterone level I, when I, you were in puberty? You know, I don't... Sky high. Sky high, right, All right. right. So what I see, and then you see things like patients that get acne, okay? Yeah, and I, my whole back was in acne. And it was like... progesterone, a man taking progesterone, if he's taking some testosterone and getting some acne formulations... They'll go away. Nah. The progesterone works. Or as a man gets older, progesterone may help with benign prostatic symptoms, mm -hmm. wow. you know, yeah. and also prostate cancer. I had a guy, he was, uh, I was taking care of his wife, and I knew he had prostate cancer with bony metastasis. And I would just, you know, he wasn't my patient, and I'd converse with him, how you doing, you know, when he'd come in with his wife. 
Well, he, you know, he came in at one time and he says, hey, not too good, doc, I've got bony metastasis. Well, I'm, with his wife, I was giving her progesterone. And she said, you know, my, I can't put it on. I just give it to my husband and he rubs it in his hands and puts it on. You know what? Six months later, <laughs> his bony metastasis disappeared. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. And I mean, again, I don't have a clinical study. That's just an observation. And all I will tell you, as a scientist, right. observation and experience is better to me than right. a clinical study. I, I totally agree. Right. But that's what makes clinical studies. You, you, if you don't have A, you can't have B. You know, so But that's in a case where if you're going to do somebody some harm, if, right. you, if you're going to approach this, that we're going to do this in a way that we're not going to harm you. That, you know, that's the way to go. Well, so when, when, when I took the matters into my own hands, I mean, that, what I'm explaining to you took a lot of balls to do for a 19-year-old kid because, you know, I didn't, most doctors were looking and, and they would have never, ever, ever recommended <laughs> to me to do what I did, you know, because it's just way too risky. And to me, it was like, well, I have no other choice. You know, it was like, I need to figure this out ASAP. And scientifically, that's what made the most sense to me, okay, from an observation standpoint. And I was like, okay, this is what I just have to do. And I did it, and it worked. And, and here I am, 20 years later, two kids and a healthy life. And, <laughs> you know, like, knock on wood, nothing wrong with my body or my system at all, you know? So it's just like, what do you do? You know what I mean? So it's, it's very difficult to see because, you know, I feel like we need to have more and more and more doctors be educated on the hormones of the body because they essentially affect everything. They affect your sleep. They affect the way you metabolize food. They affect your heart. They affect everything. Well, an important aspect there, too, is the pituitary gland. Yeah. Okay, the pituitary sends out a signal, luteinizing hormone, to the testicle. So it puts out testosterone. Right. Okay? And I'll find guys 55 years old, and their luteinizing hormone is sky high. That just yeah. means their pituitary gland is saying, I'm not happy with your testosterone level. Right. Okay? Right. Now, in younger patients, I will also give them something to kind of help balance that feedback of when the testosterone goes up, and shutting off the pituitary gland, kind of fight that feedback using either HCG, which you have to do by injection, yeah. or when I'm dealing with a lot of CEOs that are traveling and they have to travel with this stuff, I give them clomiphene. Ah. Clomiphene is Clomid, yeah, an yeah. old fertility drug. Yeah. Okay, oh, wow. and I've had well, pharmacists. That's what I, I took that. Yeah, I've I, had pharma I, That's exactly right. <laughs> I've had pharmacists call me <clears throat> saying, "Doc, you ordered uh, a fertility drug on this man." I've had several, <laughs> several of them call me in that regard. It's extremely effective. But it is very effective, <laughs> and I've had guys that would say, "You know, my testosterone's up, my libido's down, this and that," and you throw in a little bit of clomiphene. And all of a sudden, it changes. It changes everything. That's right. I, right, that's right. Either that or uh, I've also noticed, you know, if the, the proper use of just uh, um, estradiol. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, drawing a blank on, on, on the name. Um, anyway, it'll come to me. But, you know, it, 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 if just an anti-estrogen pill will also increase the testosterone in certain men and, and, you know, and you mix that with the clomiphene and, and that alone can just do the trick sometimes. And I, I feel like understanding how to utilize these things is super important in aging men, you know, and 
I, the one part of it that I don't know much about is with females. How does these, how, because, you know, with females, you have women, they go through pregnancy and then they go through menopause. So how do, how do we, where males are How do we, how do we maximize the, obviously we want balance because you change one hormone, another hormone. Right. So they had a wonderful uh, screen at my functional medicine hormone module and they showed one of those platforms that you would put in a lake and all the kids jumping on and off and one kid jumps on and the whole balance of that platform shifts. And so obviously if you're playing with one hormone, another hormone gets affected. That was the message, but it was, it was very real. And, and you know, this is not my bailiwick, but that was real. And so just understanding that if you're giving progesterone or you're giving estradiol, like what's the effect elsewhere to all the other hormones and, and to treat responsibly, how do you, how do you, how do you personally play that balancing act? It takes time. You have to spend time with the patient. And I will just tell you this, I gave up insurance 12 years ago and it was the best thing I can do. I mean, I don't have anybody questioning my judgment or an insurance company saying, Oh, you don't need to get this blood test. You know, uh, I don't like that. Right. Okay. So that's how I got around it. Um, but give some examples for our audience. Like if you are helping a woman going through menopause. Well, okay, going through menopause. Mm-hmm. You look at, okay, what? how aggressive do I need to be? Number one, what's their bone density? If it's down, okay, that pushes me into a more aggressive category. Things like that. The gray area you're going to have is a patient's diet and lifestyle. What if they're eating all kinds of phytoestrogen plants and drinking from water out of plastic bottles all the time and those things and here's another one again progesterone estrogen and testosterone for men and women menopausal woman gain in weight exercise doesn't work this is what we see yeah exercise doesn't work work anymore all right well let's try a little testosterone cream and not only does the body composition get better but one of the first things i hear from these women is doc my libido is back Mm. And it just, again, tells you right. the, the level. And there. so how do you balance that out with the hair production that might come to a, you know, a woman going through pe- you know, perimenopausal or menopausal, uh, but going through transition? Because with testosterone in women, if it gets too high, they grow, you know, start getting hairy. And again, that's why when you initiate somebody, that first year is so important. Careful follow-up. How often do you see someone? Oh, I'll see somebody six times in the first year. And we'll get blood work four times anyway. Right. Yeah. That's the only way to do it. Because you have to monitor it to a very... And and each person's different. You really do. And that's why I think it's hard for conventional medicine to do this. Yeah. You're in the the doctor's office and he gets 10 minutes with you. And it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think specialties like this require, you know, and it's what we do also. We're, We're not in the insurance world because it requires personal attention and care because that's the only way you can actually do that. And that requires time, that requires money, that requires testing, that requires monitoring that requires all of these different components and in our medical world today more than ever like you said it becomes a mill you go in for 10 minutes uh, you know the doctor pushes you back out and you know it's, it's just the only way you can get the collection going through insurance and 
it's it's it, it's tough to gauge anything in that little bit of period of time. So I feel like even like doctors are a little handcuffed, you know, in in, in that world. And well, it, to your point, when doctors first take on their more alternative medicine kind of training, one of the conversations that has to happen is how do I now incorporate this into my practice? What do I do Monday morning after my, you know, after my training? I'm sure you went through a transition like that. Well, see, and what I was actually taught in medical school, do not give testosterone to men. It causes prostate cancer. The last 15 years data has shown that's absolutely wrong. And what I have found, it's really a balance of testosterone and estrogen. Estrogen. You were talking about the aromatase and getting the nipples and everything. Okay. Well, it's the same thing. You've got yeah. to just look at all that. Yeah. So for the listener that doesn't understand aromatase, it's an It enzyme. means it, it, it's, it's a process where your body's taking some of your extra testosterone and changing it into estrogen. Right. right. That's right. <laughs> That's what was happening to me, like at a rapid pace, and no one knew what was well, happening. Well, and see, you know, it's different for every individual. Could that, be gover- could that have been governed genetically for him, for, if, for example? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I would think so. I'm sure. Uh, no, and I don't know that I can answer that. <laughs> that that's fine. That's yeah. fine. So. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, you know. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. You know, it, it's, it, it was, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I look at my son. He's, he's going to be eight years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. And. And he's bri- big. He's, he's built like a brick. He's, and I'm not tall, but my wife's family's tall. So. He is already up to my chest in height, and he's not even eight yet, and he weighs 97 pounds, and he is fast, and he's solid and thick, and and you could see he talks like a teenager he's like, when he speaks, and you're like, oh my God, this kid must have a testosterone of a horse, and he's like nine years old. So I, there's definitely a genetic component there. There has to be, because... You know, the joking, uh, the, the joke with my buddies, he plays lacrosse, is that, you know, soon you're going to have to start showing ID like, <laughs> you know, for him because he's like, you know. He's going to look older than He's just like, yeah, but, but it's, it, you know, yes, does he eat a healthy food? He does, you know. Uh, he eats an absurd amount of food, but it's all healthy food, and he feels like he needs it. He's not like, I don't stop him. You know, my wife doesn't stop him. He he, but he eats good food. He doesn't eat junk food. You know, he, he's a kid. He is some of it, but generally speaking, we live in a very healthy household. He eats grass-fed meat. He eats, you know, things that are sourced from good places. He eats the proper grains. Well, and you make a good point. I mean, it's again the source of the food. It's like I'm a cardiovascular surgeon. Patients, oh, I shouldn't eat red meat. No, <laughs> right. grass-fed is fine. Right. It's the corn-fed and the stuff they, you know, that they. Give these animals. That's yeah. what's bad. That's what's bad, right? I agree with you. The hormones, they, they, you know, the the. I was reading this thing, and, and I didn't even think about this, but it's true. In order to keep these cows alive and healthy, and because they keep them in such confined spaces, they have to give them antibiotics. They give them all kinds of antibiotics, mm-hmm. all kinds of even like they 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 doze them off because they know that the cows know that they're about to die, so they give them all kinds of like medication to like kind of get them to calm down like sedatives and, and just stuff like, like that so to be very visual about this when the animal is killed they go into a state of 
adrenaline rush. Right. And that's the meat that's eaten versus animals that are killed more humanely. Right. It's a totally different. Yes. Yeah. It's a totally different um, muscle. That, that you're eating. Mm-hmm. Just right. biologically, right. you'd have to say, ask yourself, isn't that just the right thing to do? So let's go do? down the list. This would be really good for our listeners. What are the, let's go down literally a checklist of all the things that people could look at in their homes vis-a-vis the food they're eating, the water they're drinking, the products they're using. Go through so it becomes very concrete for people. How, just in terms of environmental toxins, what they can do differently. What are some tips that they can avoid? Like well, there are natural things people can use for cleansers and stuff like that. A lot of that is convenience, I think, for people. But, but that's easy. You go to Target and you can get their natural products. Mm-hmm. You can go online. But, but again, you know, and this from your standpoint, they go to the grocery store, they ought to come out with no bags, no packages, no boxes, right. no cans, no bottles. And I've had patients say, Doc, I wouldn't have any groceries. But, but, <laughs> and, but and that's the truth for okay, most guys. Okay, but let's right. be specific. If somebody's buying dairy, it should be grass-fed milk. Yes. At the very least, raw milk would be even better, which you can get from some specific companies in people's locations. There are some farmers around that will do that. You're looking at um, organ- grass-fed butter. Organ- yeah, grass-fed butter. You're looking, I'm going around the store, but I'm going through the dairy aisle first. You get to the back now. Fish should not be farm-raised. It should all be wild, right? Yes. You can even get tuna in Ziploc bags from, I think, Bumblebee. I'm not sure, but it's wild. So go for wild. Now we're going back down, and we're, like, at the deli counter. We kind of skip that, right? And now we get to the vegetables. We're looking for organic Ideally looking for more local because there's less time. It gets into your refrigerator and onto your plate sooner. Okay? Talk about plastics. We're drinking water out of plastics versus maybe getting some type of filter in the home that filters their water and putting it and into you know, metal. And, you know, studies have shown that this stuff is in our blood. Correct. Or the BPA that's on receipts, you can touch one receipt... And your blood levels go up. Now think about somebody who works in that store all day all long. Day. And how is that affecting their so hormones? So if you really don't need your receipt, say no thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Time to go digital. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. You, you get a choice. Do I want email or do I, never, I want... I, I, you know, it's funny. Everyone, they always ask, do you want your receipt? No. No. Oh, I can right. look it up online. What do I need the receipt for? Save Correct. the trees, you know, mm-hmm. like, or whatever it is. No, I don't know. Well, it gets printed. They just throw it away. Right. I know. But, but I think if more people... Don't ask for it. It's not going to get printed, you know. And and I think if we're just keep heading towards getting rid of all of these things, it would be a lot more, you know. It it would be better for people would be healthier. Yeah. When when with our protocol, for example, I really am a believer in grabbing the lowest hanging fruit. Go through food. If change your food first. If we don't see significant changes, then then we have to dig a little bit more deeply. So well, the diet's eighty percent of the ball game. Correct. So one of our patients, we ended up going. What's your work environment like? Oh my gosh, she's sitting in a moldy or mildewy or you know, get a filter. Teeth, mercury, all of those things. Just to that point, though. As 
we're aging. You try to inspire people, I'm sure, to make those changes because you're doing the medical things, but if their biochemistry is provided with cleaner foods and fewer toxins, your patients are going to respond better. But I do have this burning question. There are some people now um, that are trying to work with women's hormones and give them hormones the way they would cycle through their menses so that even a postmenopausal woman, woman would go through that monthly cycle. What do you know about that? Is it safe? Do we want for an older woman or an older man to... All and, you're and doing... Let's, let's say everything is good, like they're eating healthy and they're doing all the right things. Would you want to bring their hormones to a level where they might have been when they were 20 years well, younger? Well, and again, it's, it's how aggressive am I going to be? What am I dealing with? Is a patient dealing with type 2 diabetes? Or like you say, they're eating really well and... Let's pretty, say they're healthy. They're and healthy. pretty much they're in good shape. Yeah. Uh, besides monitoring that... But would you um, would would there be an optimum benefit for taking a woman like me at my age, where I'm not on any meds, and I do eat a plant-based diet, I'm exercising every day, and listen, the game is I'm as healthy as I was when I was 40, okay, or 30, the, maybe even healthier, I don't know. But but the point is, relatively to my age, I'm nothing like my parents were at my age. Would there be any value? to me having some hormone replacement to bring me into a 40-year-old realm. I believe that. Yeah. Okay. I honestly believe that that's the way to go is metabolically, physiologically, you get your, your body working better. I, I agree with Dr. Joe on this. And mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I, even someone like, and Lori is in the one percentile of her age group. Well, so is Dr. Yeah, yeah I do, absolutely. But we're talking about you here and, okay. and, and in that sense. And I, I do feel at some point you start to see markers go down. And now for some people it's 40, some people it's 60, some people it's 65, some people it's 30. And if you don't monitor that annually with blood work, right. minimum. Right, right. that's you right. Have no you idea. have no idea. Right, so I'm saying at some point... Even you, when right. things start going south, small... Before they start going south. <laughs> well, you know, yes, agreed. Yes. But, you know, but... Preemptively. But, right. but, but you can see signs of it. And I personally think that until you see signs, you shouldn't do anything. You know? With most... You got to see some most, signs. With, with most conditions, and I think, you, Doctor, you'd agree with this, that... Some things are so silent, like, like you could have high blood pressure for years and not have an event. You could have inflammation in your blood vessels, and if you're not getting the right tests, you would never know until there's an event. So assume somebody, especially someone like me, who does the inflammatory markers on, you know, like a Boston Heart Lab or something like that, and, and this is where I, I think it's pointed is and my bone density is good, and all those kinds of things, what would I stand to gain in terms of my experience in my body as I age? 
my comment would be again just needs to be monitored first with blood work that sort of thing but also you know what are your what are your goals you know and again oh i want to be a hundred but i want to look like i'm 60 and feel like i'm 60 and then you know i'm well and, you know and, i mean and, I, i'm already operating well, at 20 will, years younger i than. will give you an example for myself right. i'm 70 years old I have the same body composition I had when I was 23. No. Okay? By the way, he looks phenomenal. This I, you, is Jack you, 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 you guys, well, <laughs> no, no, but seriously, nobody here would guess that you are 70 years old. I don't color my hair either. I, and, and I want to ask you, because you said something to me about that and the use of copper, <laughs> you said, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 you know, but just before you go, I just want to get across, this guy is in phenomenal shape. Well, see, and, patients will look at me and they go, oh, God, you must be in the gym all day. You know what I do? 15 minutes body weight exercises four times a week. That's what I do. That's yeah, all that's I all do. I'm, and I'm telling and you, I right. maintain my muscle. That's right. right. Because you'll see a 70-year-old guy, doesn't have a belly, looks pretty good, you feel his upper arm, and he's lost muscle mass. Yeah. Right. Ah, right. He's on the, he's on the downward, downward spiral. Downward spiral, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. No, that's phenomenal. And, and I think, to your point, it's you got to go with what Dr. Joe is saying. You know, what are your goals? Or... Here, get aggressive like this. Yeah. Get a telomere measurement. Okay. Okay. Cost you a thousand bucks or so, but you get a telomere measurement and actually measure the length of your telomeres. Right. Then you do something, measure them again. Two years, three years down the line. If they get better or worse, you know? Right. That sort of a thing. That's a that's right. That, and, and that's, that's, that's there is really, a nice basic measurement. That yeah. Is a, right. a very basic measurement. Yeah, yeah. That's a great but you one. Have, yeah. You know, you can get telomere measurements, I think, here in this country for 150 bucks, and they don't measure them. Very well. What do they do? I don't, you know, it's not the exam I'm used to, uh, you okay. know, getting that actually gives me the length of the telomere. Okay. Hmm. That's a great place to start. Yeah. Well, and I'm doing that with a lot of patients. Got it. You know, I have one guy, uh, we're being pretty aggressive with him, um, 56 years old, and his telomere biologic age came out at 70. Mm. And we've been attacking that in the last couple of years. And it's telomeres. So what, so what are you what are you using? Well, uh, you know, the uh, stem cells and well, the stem cells, but also hormone optimization. Hormone. Okay. Yeah, and and wh- where is it now? Uh, better. Yeah, it, it's yes. it's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and right. how that works. That's. And do people say to you, "I'm sleeping better. I have more yes, energy." Yes, exactly. Yes, no mental fog. No mental fog. Mm-hmm. No. Less depression. Yes. And those and are also, all hormone related. And, and less body pain. You know, it's so funny. I, so many people are so inclined to say, oh, I just, I, I'm fine. I take two a leave every morning. <laughs> I'm like, well, but that's, that's also I'm more, like, wait, with, with, with our patients, that's more a statement about the level of inflammation in their bodies. We have people that are really, really inflamed. Um, but but I can also tell you, if you have a a controlled good testosterone level in your body you won't have pain you're not going to have you're not going to have, have your, good testosterone well, you're not going to have that your, will help yeah. also but here's Back another thing joint I, pain here's another thing I throw out yeah. at you you know a little bit on stem cells stem cells are the cells uh, exosomes are the growth factors that are mm. floating around that stimulate the activity and I've given patients exosomes intravenously for other reasons and many of them come back and say, Doc, my body aches are gone. So again, just another subtle sign of all these growth factors are low enough in your body. You get them built back up, and a lot of these old aches and pains, because you're getting older, go away. And one of the things that I... You're facilitating biochemical processes with that. How else do we get exosomes? Um, 
Do uh, they decline as we get older? Mm-hmm. Yes. Substantially after 50? Yeah. Stem cells will make exosomes. You know, the body will make exosomes. But you're giving more exosomes to... Oh, I'm to, giving a ton. To potentiate yes. that. Yes, yes. Right. Hmm. I mean, one of the things that I experimented with, I used to get terrible tendonitis and I, I, in my elbows, and I read that uh, some peptides could possibly help. How so, about BP-157? <clears throat> yeah, so BP-157. So tell, tell, us, about, <laughs> so tell us about these peptides, right. and they're all sold on the Internet. And, and well, again, where is it sourced from? Uh, yeah, I want to yeah, yeah. know about this. I have yeah. several compounding pharmacies that I work with, <clears throat> yeah. and a couple here in New York City that I am comfortable with the product, okay? But see, a... But what is growth, a peptide? A factor, Start simply. What is a, a peptide? A, a bioprotein is a very long protein. Right. All right. That's floating around in the body. It has many metabolic functions. You take a snip out of that big bioprotein, you've got a peptide. It's a little short uh, protein thing. But as such, if you get this little specific uh, protein, it has a specific biologic activity. Okay? And. So it and each one of these will have certain effects. The BP157, for instance, is very good for healing things. Okay, but the other thing that I pick up from this is it's a GI peptide. That was right. the origin. Yeah. It was a GI peptide. That's right. And I'll give it to patients for their tendonitis and whatever, yeah. and they say my tendonitis is better. Doc, you know I've had acid reflux. I've had terrible bowels for years. It's all gone. Yeah. So is this why this is making something a little more crystal clear for me? When you do a gut healing protocol, people's aches and pains will often go away. Mm-hmm. When you kill a bug that somebody might have by either balancing out their microbiome or even if they're on an antibiotic, aches and pains will go away. Is that part of improving the gut lining's ability to make it? Your body's just functioning better. That's re- I'm, I'm, I, th- I look at it, you're rebooting cells. Yeah. No, I mean the, the the peptide thing was was fantastic because it, it well, I, and it's instant. Let me let me give you I, I felt let me give you one more example. Away. Yeah, yeah, please. I'll give you please, one more please. example. A pitalon. I've a, heard of that. A yeah. pitalon uh, stimulates the pineal gland, which stimulates the hypothalamus, which stimulates the pituitary, which sends out signals to the hormone organs. Mm-hmm. So right. hormone balance stimulates melatonin production day night. Okay, and and a pitalon is a peptide. It's a peptide. It was discovered and patented by a Russian scientist in the late 1980s. Wow. America has ignored it since, okay? All the longevity studies... Do you mean studies, the FDA has ignored it? Or what? I'm, I'm I, sure I, I there mean, are some scientists who want to... But there's no studies here. Okay. Nothing. All the, right. all the studies on longevity and epitalon are Russian. And the reason I pay attention to that is that epitalon is the only thing I have seen literature on there's TA65 to lengthen tail. I, I don't think that that works, okay? Mm-hmm. The only one that has been shown is a pitalon lengthens telomeres. You lengthen your telomeres, you're biologically younger. Yeah. So where do you get a pitalon? You get it made well, bioidentically through a compound uh, pharmacist? Yeah, through a compound pharmacist, yes. And is that oral or only injected? Um, they make oral forms. And let the me just tell you. Injection is just so uh, much more cre- effective. How about creams? How well, about creams? From your standpoint... How do you know how well things something is going to be assimilated? Absolutely, right, right, right. Well, right. and a cream, no, it won't work as from a cream. Okay. So it has to be an injection, or I don't know if they have a sublingual on that. Right. Interesting. But, but I it, want a pitalon. <laughs> so right, no, but but you know, get your telomeres measured first. Okay. 
and a year down the line, get them again. You, and, and right, and there's the... Right. There's the there, that right, gives you the, your direction. Right, and exactly. see, again, I don't have enough data that I can walk out there and say, this is the way to do it. But I'm, I'm working on it. And I've got, I'm gathering data of people with telomeres before and after. And a few, you know, another year from now, I'm going to come out with a dozen or 15 patients, and somebody's going to say, oh, that's a bunch of bull. And I'll say, you show me your data. Right. And, and I you know, have that data. Right, and, right, and, right. I'll, and I'll tell you something. I respect the fact that you're very straightforward. A lot of doctors are like, well, if you look, there is this data, and they try to spin the data a certain way. I respect the fact that you're like, hey, your data's not out there because we're handcuffed, and there's so many things that are just not allowing us to do it. But I understand the science. I'm going to do well, it. Well, and, <laughs> and there's not enough experience with MS and stem cells to right. know how many stem cells do I give. And I'm finding things such as if I give a combination of stem cells with exosomes together, which I didn't have a few years ago, I can use much, many, much less stem cells, which are more expensive, uh, uh, and it works just as well. Right. Uh, but see, again, there's no clinical studies that show right. that. I, I learned that from myself. Man. Go Man. back to the traumatic brain injury. Where do you inject the traumatic brain injury? Do, do you? Same place. Temple. Because oh. the studies out there have shown to get stem cells centrally located, mm -hmm. you do a spinal block. Well, there's an old dentist that I take care of. For many years he's from Chicago and he was doing this SPG block sphenopalatine ganglion block for patients that had unrelenting migraines just break the cycle okay I got interested in that procedure because I thought okay because he, what he would say is the migraine will go away and then two weeks will come back we got to do it again all right let's get some stem cells in there as part of the protocol so I started doing that well I find out that this sphenopalatine ganglion block was actually in ENT textbooks. It was taught back oh in the goodness. 1930s. Wow. 1940, pain medicine for migraines. They don't even teach the SPG block anymore. Wow. A lot of these things, it seems like, are societal issues. <laughs> but, but see, you know, <laughs> and, and does it get it central? All I can tell you is when I do an MS patient and the injection is here mm -hmm. and I see their central lesions get better, I, I don't argue with it. I'm getting the effect. What about if you have autoimmune, um, you know, like Hashimoto's, thyroid? Do you do it right into the thyroid? Clinic? No, no. Because I will use things such as there's a infrared laser that will actually, there's a certain wavelength that will stimulate nitric oxide production. Okay? Wow. So if I do a joint, I do use the red light. I light that joint up, then I do the stem cells. Okay? Now, if you're doing this systemically, there are ways, and again, you're talking Russian literature from the 1970s on use of the light. There are ways that I can focus the light, frequency, location, and actually stimulate an internal organ. All right, so you give the stem cells, and what that is is the body's just lighting up a spot like, something's hurting here, we gotta fix this. The body will figure out how to do it. You just have to get the stem cells involved and in the right location. Okay. That sounds so simple, yet it's so complicated. <laughs> yeah. But it's fun. It's, 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 it's yeah. just fun learning this. So what's it's, your diet like? I will tell you this. It's a good question. Um, not, I don't eat much food. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have whole food, a balanced diet, maybe one plate a day, and a protein shake that I put stuff in. Okay? And if you looked at the number of calories I did, it was, what's interesting is that I took four or five NAD intravenous treatments, okay? First two, nothing. After the third one, I lost my appetite. I mean, if, as long as I had that food. But you're making energy. Well, it's like, 
my body is the more, Krebs cycle. It's more efficient. It's right. more efficient. Right. right. All right. So you know, I, I look at that. But we know there's tremendous research on lower calorie diets, and I don't mean like Superlow, but just a little bit of calorie restriction correlates with anti aging. I'm, I'm a I'm a paleo man. Okay. okay and you've got the Paleolithic diet. Okay. Right. How did those guys eat? They didn't eat three meals a day. They ate when they could. Right. They ate what they could. And you go about exercise. Did they sprint, jog forever? No, but they had to have they had to be had able to, to reach a peak heart rate so they could survive right. or yeah. run down an animal. Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of things like that that to right. me fit in with the Paleolithic diet, right, right, or right. the Paleolithic lifestyle. Right, right, right. And you know, also we know that intermittent fasting has a benefit with anti-aging, but. Like like um, Dr. Longo, who did the fasting mimicking diet, he actually studied what happens over the five days when you're doing a fasting mimicking diet, which is like doing a water fast for five days, but you're actually eating food and flying under the radar of insulin, for example. And so by day three, you were in a heightened state of autophagy, which is the recycling of old organelles. But by the fifth day, in, in rodents, he saw an increase in stem cell growth. So have you ever recommended to any of your patients, you know, to do any of those things as anti-aging well, in support of, of also the therapies that you're doing? Has it, you know, or do you see better benefits when people are employing some of the dietary restriction? And I, I think you just need to look at the overall status of the person. Are they are they markedly obese? You know, what is their body composition? Because you know, most people, even if you um, have a pretty good body composition, according to people looking at you, you still would probably have an android or gut. Um, percentage of about 35%, which is a little bit heavy. Right. And in my opinion, it's like the Paleolithic man. They didn't get fat because they didn't have the food. We're doing it to ourselves. And just a little bit of weight like that, I do think, plays a part as far as aging. So here's the deal. We get them down in their weight, down in that visceral fat, we send them to you. Right. But then they'll do better with no, the treatments. See, but no. that's what I'm hearing you say. Is Wound healing. Right. That's part of your wound healing, exactly. Right, right. yeah. So, I, I, and, and you know, we, we can sit here and probably talk for another four hours on this, but we do have to conclude the show. But before going, I do want to talk a little bit about your book that you wrote, um, Surviving Cancer, uh, and, you know, which is a fascinating book. Um, it's the use of complementary and alternative methods in the treatment of breast cancer. Um, can you quickly give us a small little overview of what this book is and... This is um, a book written about a patient of mine who really taught me a lot of this stuff. Um, she had stage three breast cancer and was told to do this and that, and she came to me for other alternative treatments. And I learned a lot of stuff just from her, what she was doing with her own lifestyle. She survived another 24 years wow. with stage three breast cancer that you won't hear. Wow. Okay? And I think that that's part of it. So and, and really, part of that in the book, her story is in there, and she right. tells people what she's been doing. But it also explains in there, I have a chapter that explains my line of thinking so people know 
what yeah, my, yeah, exactly how I approach right. patients. Great. So everybody, you know, grab Check this book. Yeah, Surviving Cancer by Dr. Joe. Um, Dr. Joe, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, use your services, or uh, has questions on any of this stuff and wants to contact you, where would they reach you? I would just say go to the website, drjboss.com. 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 Um, you can also uh, get us at our Instagram, Helix and Gene, and you can email me at Sam at Helix and Gene or Lori at Lori at Helix and Gene. That's L O R I. Um, L O R I. And, uh, you know, we can get your questions out to Dr. Joe as well um, or answer anything that we can. So, Dr. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Truly, you, uh, thank you. Yeah, you well, really gave us welcome. a great insight on a subject that... Um, That's the bottom line, is so people yeah, get a better exactly. understanding that this stuff is out that there. We right. need, we need what these, our options are. Yeah, mm-hmm. we need yes. platforms and we need more doctors like yourself to realize there is an issue and actually take the actions necessary to change their practice and their traditional thinking to get to where we are and where we need to go. So I just want to, as one professional, as another, thank you for that. And I I, I, I think that, you know, um, we're headed towards the right direction. So thanks for coming. And we'll be looking forward to doing a 2.0 version with you of this soon. Okay. Very good. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it.